Hey everybody, this is Ned with a quick note about Day 2 Cloud. We've decided to drop the intro music for future episodes. Some folks found it a bit jarring, and you know, that's not a good way to start your podcast experience. So we decided to skip the music and get right to the important stuff, the awesome guests and their epic knowledge. If you'd like more metal in your diet, we've added a link to the show notes for this episode to the Bandcamp site that has the entire song and the EP it's from. Would you believe it's 22 years old? Wow. Anyway, thanks to everyone for the feedback. If you have suggestions, comments, etc., please don't hesitate to reach out via Twitter or the contact form at day2cloud.io. Thanks, everyone, and enjoy the episode. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. we got a career show for you today. That is how to be a cloud network engineer. I was at NANOG, a North American Network Operators Group, their meeting that they held in February 2023 down in Atlanta, and I heard Cam give a talk on this topic. And uh, it just interested me so much and a lot of his slides and his ideas that uh, we invited him to come on and have a chinwag about it. So this is not a rehash of his of his talk exactly. You've already heard that talk at Nano. We went, we took it in some different directions and got some more details and angles from Cam, uh, didn't we, Ned? Yeah, I, I really wanted to differentiate what is a traditional network engineer versus the cloud network engineer, and also what additional skills a cloud net, network engineer should pick up that you might not already have. And he had some interesting responses to that. Yeah, he definitely did. Now, Cam wanted us to make uh, one other point, which is this is not a sponsored show. This is just Cam talking as Cam. Cam works for Oracle Cloud, but this show was not sponsored by Oracle Cloud, just to make that very clear for everyone. Okay, enjoy this conversation with Cam Agahian. Cam Agahian. I don't even know if I got that right, Cam. But, uh, but anyway, how close did I get? And uh, tell me how close I got on your last name. And then tell us who you are and what you do. That was perfectly fine. Yes, my first name is Cam, last name Agahian, and I'm director of client engineering with Oracle Cloud. I've been in this field for almost 25 years, and uh, well, that's what I do as a full-time job. Also, part-time, I work as a certified personal trainer and uh, blogger and a member of Nanog program committee, so pretty busy. Yeah, Nanog is where I heard the talk that inspired this conversation we're going to have in this podcast today, talking about uh, what a cloud network engineer is, as you've kind of identified this exactly. as a as, as a role here. So I, you can go up, if you're listening to this, you can go up to Nanog's channel on YouTube and find Cam's talk here. So we're not going to talk through that talk uh, exactly slide for slide or anything. We're just going to have a conversation based on the presentation that Cam gave at Nanog. And Cam, I want to kick this conversation off with um, I, something I was taking from your presentation. I, I want to understand in more detail here. Were you making a distinction between the traditional network engineer and a, a cloud network engineer as if those were two separate roles? Because in my mind, I'm like, well, who's taking care of a company's cloud networking if not the network engineers? Exactly. That's a great question. In fact, we do. Yes. Uh, there is a clear distinction between the two. However, there's still a very strong overlap. And uh, it's a very interesting story. If you kind of take a step back, let's go back to the 90s when I started. Uh, as a network engineer, you're responsible for pretty much everything IT-related. I was responsible for Apache servers, IS servers, SCUD servers or proxies, and then mail servers. It really doesn't matter what. Exchange or send mail, that's your responsibility. On top of that, we also have traditional networking skills. 
OSBF, BGP, ISIS, maybe some Spanish tree as well. So, uh, but network engineering evolved over time and multiple different groups of people branched off. The first group you have, you know, systems engineers, they decided to have their own field, completely separate field. Today, if someone is a systems engineer, you know exactly what they do. They're not a sponsor for OSBF and BGP. Same story about NDEs or network developer engineers. They learn Python, other coding languages, and they're more now focused in that field. And a newer trend, recent years, cloud engineering or CNE or cloud network engineering, that's another evolution of the same trend, I guess. So yeah, that's a big tree, and it's one of the one of its branches to be a CNE or cloud network engineer. Okay. You know, when you're describing a network engineer back in the nineties and, and I came in in the early two thousands and it was a similar sort of situation. I started as a desktop support person and then became a systems engineer and then a network engineer. And the only difference between the titles was now I was just responsible for more things. It's not like exactly. anything got shuffled off my plate. It was like, no, now you get to do all the other things on top of it. Exactly. Exactly. Even you know, things like security, security was a Big part of your responsibilities. Go, go ahead and configure your firewalls. Proxies are security too. Identity. I mean, recently, or not very recently, but we do have identity teams. Teams responsible for you know tokens and all those things. Back in the days, network engineer was responsible for all that. But that changed. Evolved, and we have different branches. Yeah, the CNE or cloud network engineering is a new branch, but it belongs to the same tree. Gotcha. Gotcha. So when you think about the CNE or the cloud engineer, is it really just a network engineer that added some DevOps? Did, did they just rub some DevOps on it and that's all that's going on there? Um, is there new network architecture that you have to relearn or network operations? Like what is different about that CNE? That, that's a good question. Many people actually ask the same question. In fact, last week, friend of mine, traditional network engineer, really, really sharp person, He's asking me the same question. And his fear was, you know what? I don't do any coding, but um, I really like clouds. Can I just get a start at? Is there any room for me? So that's one of the biggest misconceptions in this field. It, it's not like that. So you don't have to know coding. In fact, I have some of the best cloud architects in the world on my teams and some of them, they never code anything. They can understand. I mean, they can go through your code. They can analyze your code. They can tell you exactly what this code does. But they're not going to sit down and code it. They're not going to sit down and develop anything for you. But if you look at your organizations, generally speaking, at a very, very high level, you have two different kinds of responsibilities. People want to be architects, people who are more on the implementation side maybe do some architecture, but not very seriously. The architects don't have to do coding. They don't have to worry about anything DevOps related. Maybe, I don't know, 10, 20%, they need to understand what's going on, but they're not going to do implementation at all. I don't want them to. I'm not going to hire, you know, some of the most expensive resource in the world to have them configure my VCMs or my VPCs. But on the implementation side, you also have very smart people, but at scale, they have to know automation. They have to know how it works from an operation perspective, how to optimize those. So depending on where you're trying to land, you might need some DevOps skill sets, but it is not mandatory for every single field. 
So both of those roles you were talking about, the, the architect and then the implementer, do those both fall under the umbrella of cloud network engineer? Exactly, they do. Oh yeah, okay. we, hi- we hire them all the time and it's kind of your choice as an applicant, what you want to do. And the people coming from operations background, they know some coding, they enjoy configuring stuff like CCI style, let's get on a keyboard, configure this and configure that. There is a job for that. But if you enjoy the whiteboard part of the story, and maybe some implementation, just helping customers with uh, you know, proof of concept or help your team with proof of concept, that would be more on the architecture side. I don't think of DevOps as necessarily meaning you have to code, though, Cam. Tell me if you mm-hmm. agree or disagree. I mean, I'm thinking of it as a more of a tooling and a methodology for rolling code out. Um, so it could be configuration stances you're very familiar with from the Juniper, the Cisco world, let's say, that happens to live in a Git repository and you're using a pipeline to deploy it. Is that fair to say? That's true. That's true. I agree. I agree. But on, on the client side, I mean, keep in mind, there is there is a pretty strong uh, element of coding and automation if you want to do, if you want to do implementation. Mm-hmm. In fact, it is a lot easier when you compare that to traditional networks. On the cloud side, you have a very, very rich set of APIs. All you need to know, for the most part, you need to know one coding language, you, need, you know, Python, C, whatever, great. Just call those APIs and configure your cloud. And uh, then there are other skill sets, including Terraform that you can add, but you can't really compare this to what you have in traditional networks. Uh, they are getting there too. Um, I mean, immediately, but on a cloud side, you should not be scared of anything automation related. It's pretty easy, very available, and it it does work. Many customers, in fact, their very first experience, they touch this, and they start developing their own codes. If I'm a traditional network engineer, and and I am, uh, and I'm looking at public cloud networking, is there something that out of the gate I'm probably going to be missing? I'm not going to get it because I'm coming from this world of hands-on networking. Uh, That's a tricky question. And let me give you a cool answer. So let's take a quick step back. Let's go back 10 years ago. And I'm hiring a traditional network engineer. Believe it or not, many cases, I only had one question. And I would ask that one question. That was, um, hey, do you know CSC, carrier supporting carrier? Grab the marker, here's a whiteboard, walk me through the process. Show me how CSC works from an IGP perspective, MPLS perspective, label exchange, optimization, convergence. Yeah. <laughs> We've done this laughing because it's like, yeah, that's one question, oh, yeah. but it's like one of the biggest possible questions you can e- ask. Exactly, exactly. Enough material to cover like 60 minutes conversation. <laughs> uh, if you want to bring the same concept to this world and say, okay, what's the most challenging part of that? So from an, if you were in the traditional network engineer, which I believe you are, then uh, there's going to be topics that's, you don't work with them on a daily basis. Let's take DNS as an example, right? DNS tier one, the records. Everybody knows A record, PTR, MX, and all those things. That tier one, you should know. I, I believe you do. Tier two, a little more complex. Are you able to explain things like delegation? NS records, how, that, how does that work? Okay, that's fine. That's a little harder. The third tier, things like DNSSEC. Are you able to explain very clearly to me how the NSSEC works behind the scene? 
So those concepts, since you don't work with them on a daily basis, it's going to be a little challenging. But if you're asking me, and I do have books and material and blogs and training, the learning curve there is around four weeks. So for you, within four weeks, you should be able to upskill. You should be able to get there, at least from a, uh, you know, concept perspective. And then you're going to need another two months to work on your hands-on skills to be able to get in front of a customer or get a whiteboard and talk to your boss comfortably. And during that four months, depending on what a great network engineer you are, there's going to be some challenges, but you can absolutely get there in about you know, two or three months. So not a, not a huge challenge, but those services are going to take probably most of your time. Hmm. So it sounds like coming from a traditional engineer, network engineer backgrounds, you know, a few months and you can be up to speed. Do you think it's easier for someone who comes from that traditional background to make the jump to cloud network engineer? Or is it easier for someone who's already working in the cloud on other technologies and is somewhat familiar with networking to make that jump? So if you want to become a CNA, a cloud network engineer, absolutely coming from a network engineering background is the quickest and shortest path. In fact, the biggest pool of candidates that we hire from is a group of network engineers. That community, that's the target community. It's a much shorter learning curve. It's not that steep. You understand a lot of things. You understand how TCP and UDP work. You know how to capture packets, you know how to analyze those packets. You spend some time to learn PGP attributes and it matters. You know segmentation, you know variables and basics of those. So those things you already know. You don't have to go ahead and learn from scratch. Let's compare that to, I have the best DB and I want to turn this DB into a CNE. That's gonna be a pretty steep learning curve, probably more than a few months. But as a, as a network engineer, to AC and E should not really take more than three to four months. So if I'm that traditional network engineer that's been kind of ignoring the cloud thing and letting those, letting the cloud team handle that stuff, uh, yeah. do I need to prioritize adding cloud networking skills to my, to my resume? Uh, let's put it even more bluntly. If I don't add cloud skills to my network engineering resume, am I unemployable at some point? That's a good question. I don't see that happening, honestly. but. Two facts, let me give you two pieces of information here, gonna help you. Number one, definitely you're talking about the shrinking markets, right? So the data centers that you're managing right now, look at these data centers. Well, let's see what's inside a data center. You have power, space, cooling, all the hardware, cable, fiber, all those things, and then you have your servers and routers and switches and operating systems, everything else. Many of those pieces gonna leave and those services and the workload is gonna go to the cloud. So that is already happening. That workload, that body of work for you uh, to be employed in, that's shrinking. No doubt about it. But keep in mind, the cloud service providers, the CSPs, the vendors, people who actually build public cloud, they are still hiring traditional network engineers because behind the scene, you look at on our hood, there is still very strong, very complex, and... Uh, absolutely efficient network. And that network is built by traditional network engineers. That's where you're talking about OSPF, PGP, ISIS, MPLS, TE, all those things. That's not going to go away. 
It's going to leave your environment. It's going to go somewhere else. So that body of work kind of exists, although automation is going to be very strong. But uh, yeah, that works. So long story short, enterprises, you're, going to still, you're still going to have enterprise and corporate work. You have your buildings, you have your ports, you have your customers, you have your floor switches, um, maybe some layer three and layer two as well. Your data center is going to shrink. And there's going to be some good amount of work to do on the CSB uh, side of the industry. But, but cloud repatriation cam, I mean, all the workloads are coming back on-prem. Well, there's the answer to that too. Uh, when we started this journey in public cloud in general, right? Um, let's say 10, 15, almost 10 years ago, many people had questions that there's, there's this workload because of ultra low latency requirements, because of some what are compliance requirements, all those things, I'm not gonna let go of this. It has to stay on prime. I have to have some kind of data centers to run this. Now there are technologies, there are dedicated technologies that people, cloud service providers actually build data centers. They give you a piece of that cloud. So they will bring a piece of public cloud to your facility so you can run whatever you want in our space, it's going to be ultra low latency. It's going to check your yeah. compliance box and all those things. So yeah, you can still uh, live right next to your workload. It is possible. You talk about all those edge compute solutions that are there and then solutions like yeah. uh, like AWS Outposts. Uh, or OCI DRCC, yeah. Hmm. I didn't know that one. That's a new one on me. I'm going to have to check that out. Oh yeah, that's a piece of cloud. You can have yours. Yeah, that's that's the thing that I see most of the public cloud vendors doing is expanding their footprint into your data center to bring the cloud networking that you've become accustomed to, to an on-premises environment. So you can still use those constructs and those workflows that you've developed now back in your on-prem. Right, right. Very true. Exactly. As the number of regions growing and um, cloud service providers expanding to new regions, that's another new trend. Yes, we're expanding. We don't have to have massive data centers in one region. It could be smaller, could be even dedicated to your environments just to support your own workload and nobody else's. So cloud network is creeping into my data center. Oh, no. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, you know, when you were talking about the big question that you'd ask a network engineer when you were interviewing them and you, and you threw out that CSE example, which I barely know what that is. So I would have failed your interview immediately. It's a really cool thing, yeah. I, I believe you. I was trying to think of something that would be similar in, in scope and complexity. And the thing that immediately came to me was interconnecting different cloud providers. Tell me how you could connect three different cloud providers together and have it work properly. That's an excellent question. And it's actually not as difficult. So these days, that's one of the easiest things to do. And that's one of the major trends. So if you ask me, just name two trends, two trends, not even three, two trends that you see these days, one of them is multi-cloud. So multi-cloud is fact. It's really hard to find one large cloud consumer with only one cloud provider. So. That's the trend. Yes, it's happening. But connecting those cloud providers is not as uh, is not as difficult as you think. Some cloud providers, there is connection between their environments. Actually, intentionally, they built fiber between the two. OCI and Azure is a really good example. 
there is fiber between the two. You can have multi-cloud between the two. You can have split workload and do a bunch of cool stuff and great designs of that. If that doesn't exist, you also have a second option. There are some companies like Megaport, right? They have services. They act as that middleman. They provide routing or other services to connect your cloud A to your cloud B. And that works really well. Really good latency, great bandwidth, absolutely possible. Let's say even that's not an option in your case. Well, just build your own IPsec tunnel. If you don't need a latency, if you don't need, if you don't have to worry about, you know, jitter and all those things, you can always run your IPsec tunnel from anywhere you want to anywhere you want. And that's the case between two cloud providers. So there are different options to connect one CSP to another if you have presence in both. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's definitely changed and evolved over time. And I'm glad to see that there are so many companies that are willing to be that middle person sitting in a like an Equinix data center or something and just exactly. literally interconnecting the two clouds for you, basically. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Equinix is another great example. 100% true. Yes. Plus, you've got the third party entrance into that world that uh, that'll provide their own path between clouds. They have presence in in the different cloud pops around the world, and you can run over their backbone to connect. So, I mean, there's all kinds of options. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. And very, very popular these days. Like I said, well, back in the days, 10, 10 years ago, um, yeah, you had one option, maybe two options. But today, you can pick the right cloud for the right workload. And don't be shy. It's, it's technically possible. But the message that we put out all the time when I talk to anyone ask that question is, do your own proof of concept. Make sure it works for your particular workload, your particular application in your setup and your locations and the latency you're seeing. If you like it, that's the way to go. So by the same token of interconnecting the clouds, if I'm a cloud network engineer, how portable are the skills I'm learning for one cloud provider to the other cloud providers? Because I know in some cases they're using the same basic protocols and concepts, but the way they implement it can be a little funky. So do you think that if I learn my networking on OCI, I can easily transfer that to AWS, let's say? That's a, that's a good question. So when you're talking about CNE or cloud network engineer, let's just narrow the scope a little, right? Let's not worry about databases and how they work. Let's just focus on CNE skill sets. In that particular scope, you have two big verticals. You have IES services and you have SaaS. IES is what we all know. You're building your own environments up in the clouds. 60 to 70%, uh, well, I would say very similar. So it's just like you know C and now you're trying to code in Java. Should mm. not be a huge deal. You know C, plus plus, now you're learning C sharp. Again, 60, 70% you understand, and then you're going to bridge that gap. So that's probably not so challenging part. I would say this is the easy part, quote unquote easy. The more challenging part is on a SaaS. SaaS is very vendor specific. So if you have expertise in one cloud provider with their SaaS solutions, it's almost impossible to find the exact same experience in another cloud provider whereas the similar, no SaaS. Each one of those, they implemented their own SaaS. So IES, or what we care about in network engineering and network architecture part, it's very easy to transfer. 
But with SaaS, you're going to have challenges. You got to learn from scratch how their SaaS works and how it's perceived by your users, um, all those things. Can you get uh, specific for us, Cam, with the skills that we're talking about that a cloud network engineer needs to have in your Nanog presentation? That's actually what you spend most of your time on in that presentation. We don't have time to go into all of that detail, but give us that high-level overview of those specific skills I need as a CNE. Absolutely. Absolutely. We can talk about it. I do have you know, a couple of more points to add, but uh, let's just run through that list real quick. As a network engineer... We expected you to know TCP, UDP, how these things work. I always ask that question. I don't ask, like, tell me the difference between the two, but I do ask you, I have this use case, you pick the right one. In fact, I have a Nanak presentation. I did that in Nanak 77, and that's focused on network engineering interview questions. We cover all that. So know, the, know your layer four, your TCP, UDP, all that stuff. We need the exact same thing on the CNE side. When it comes to layer two, traditional network engineers know a whole bunch of things, a lot of different protocols these days, right? You start from a very traditional STP to the latest version of that with a lot of other things. That really doesn't exist in the cloud for the most part. We do have some very limited layer two, but for the most part, users do not have to worry about layer two. So that body of work is almost gone. There is a third part to that, and that's routing, IGP routing. Look at your data centers, your corporate network, you're on OSPF, ERGRP, ISIS, or something else. That part is almost gone too. You don't have to worry about these routing protocols. Unless you're doing some really you know, complex overlay, you don't have to worry about IGP. As a cloud provider, yeah, the cloud provider is run, they run that in their data centers, but as a consumer of the service, it's 100% transparent to you. It's not the case about BGP. BGP is a little different. BGP, uh, traditional network engineering, we all know BGP inside out, all the details um, across different uh, vendors. But if you look at your CNE rule, BGP is pretty simple. You just need to know a handful of attributes and how it works, how to manipulate routes, inbound and outbound manipulation, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, you care about convergence and timers, how BFD works, and you're done. That's the BGP part. But what is missing, and uh, as a traditional network engineer, you have to bridge that gap. This big set of services. Now on this side, you have load balancers different types of load balances for different types of workloads. You have, you're going to be responsive for DNS. You're going to be responsive for DHCP, NTP2. So these are the things that we are adding to the job descriptions. But let me take one example and just clarify something. Load balancers, there is a boundary. And that's a, so it's a very fine line between your responsibilities as a CNE and uh, your systems team or application owners. You're responsive for the load balancers, configuration, how things work, VIP, troubleshooting, and a bunch of other things. You are not going to be responsive for the details of load balancer. You're not going to decide how to place your workload behind load balancer, how each one of these applications is going to work. It is partnership between you and your application owner. So uh, you got to work very closely with your application owners and systems. Same story applies to security. You got to know security. 
We will talk about security later, later during this conversation, but at a very high level, let's take firewalls as an example. As a CNE, you need to know how to deploy a firewall and how to bring redundancy to your design, how to make sure you have the lowest convergence. All those things, all those questions, they need to be answered by you. But I won't trust the network engineer to configure the policies on my firewall. For the policies, I'm gonna work with my CISO, I'm gonna work with my security folks, and I'm gonna follow pretty much the same policy I have on-prem, what to permit in, what to permit out. So that's the, that's the overall picture of the two uh, job descriptions. If you wanna work on a pre-sale side, there's maybe some soft skills involved, but from a technical perspective, what I covered is pretty much 90, 95% of the picture. It doesn't sound too different from the traditional network engineering job and that exactly. a lot of those folks have had load balancers. I've spent lots of time with load balancers over the years. Very true. Um, uh, and that skill would map directly to the cloud. We learning how the how a particular, like if you're using a cloud native load balancer and figuring out how that exactly. specific tool does what it does. And uh, exactly. exactly. They're all very similar, you know. Oh yeah, even believe it or not, when I was creating their presentations for Nano. Uh, well, part of the presentation, I have slides that uh, take you back to the 90s and talk about what was going on back there. It was not part of the original presentation. But when I got to the end of my deck, I felt like, wow, this sounds like something I did in the past. Wow, this yeah. is traditional network engineering, exactly the conclusion that you were talking about. Then I added those slides and explained, look, in the 90s, actually, we did that. Yeah. Yeah, Cisco local directors way back in the day. And uh, there we go, load, ACE, load balancer. Yeah, the yep. ACE load yep. balancer. And then, of course, F5, that's what they're still most known there for is, is load balancer products and so on. Yeah. Very true, exactly. You did not have a load balancers team. It was you as a network engineer. Yeah, yeah. It almost, it almost seems like what we've really done is just remove two of the layers from the OSI stack. You, you're not responsible for layer one anymore unless something's gone really wrong and you're not really responsible for layer two as much, but all the other layers in the stack are at least, you know, three, four, and seven, you're still somewhat involved. Very true. That's actually the abstraction that people enjoy. That's why operations, we can talk about operations. That's why operations is a lot smoother. We, we offer that abstraction. You don't have to worry about any of those layers anymore. Right, and I don't have to worry about cage nuts and cutting my knuckles on them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Kind of nice. laughs> yeah, that too. So we talked about like the major cloud providers, but there's also a bunch of sort of third-party solutions that are looking to either ease or take advantage of what cloud networking has to offer. So I'm thinking of SD-WAN and SASE products um, or unified control plane products. I know Prosimo, uh, previous sponsors of of this podcast and Alkira and Aviatrix, they all offer some sort of unified control plane. As a cloud network engineer, should I also be bundling those into my tool set or should I just focus on the essentials? So there are two schools of thought here. And let me just be clear. Uh, some people prefer to have a simple design, a simple architecture, and they decide what they want to do. So instead of creating that unified control plane, I want to know exactly where I'm going to put each one of these workloads so I don't have to uh, have that. Well, that's one 
I guess, approach. The second approach is mostly you see that trend in small to medium-sized customers, even you know some large customers that, no, 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 I do care about that pane of glass. I want to have the single pane of glass. I want to have the unified control plane. It does matter. So uh, there is those two. Depending on which network you want to work in, you may or may not need those, but as a hiring manager, I never turn those into one of my key requirements. There's good reason for that. All these products are designed for simplicity. So the learning curve is not huge, especially if you are a capable CNE, should not be a, should not be a very steep uh, learning process. You start maybe in a couple of weeks, you'll find your way around them. There's going to be training for those. So I'm not going to turn them into like one of the key requirements, but absolutely good to know. SD1 is a different story. SD1, I didn't want to mix SD1 with um, you know, unified control plane because SD1 by itself uh, is a whole different topic. Right. SD1 is actually coming to your cloud from on-prem. It's an extension of your existing network. You have SD1 because you want to manage your WAN. And your WAN doesn't necessarily, quote-unquote, belong to your cloud service provider. That's your WAN. So uh, all in all, uh, SD-WAN is not going to go anywhere. You have to know SD-WAN. But as it relates to this topic and as a CNE, what you need to know how to configure, how to design, and how to optimize major SD-WAN solutions uh, this time in the cloud. Sometimes you want to treat your cloud footprints as one of your sites. Sometimes you want to bring your brain, the brain of your SD-WAN, whatever it's called, depending on vendors, to the cloud. So these two major architectures possible. And uh, actually, many customers do that. Uh, it would be nice uh, to know. But again, not one of my key skill sets that I'm going to go mm -hmm. after. If you understand BGP, if you understand how one works, if you understand my cloud, then running a SD-WAN on that is not going to take more than a couple of weeks. So these are easy steps to take to onboard you as a new CNE. It's not, it's not a showstopper. So if I do come across this super smart CNE or knows all this stuff, fully certified, does have job experience, I'm not going to stop the hiring process because this guy has no SD-WAN experience. SD-WAN is something that you can learn later on. How does security fit fit into that then? Because you mentioned like, you need my digital firewalls and so on. Well, there's all these other cloud-related security services like, like Zscaler. Um, should I say, I guess really the same question as the SD-WAN and SASE question. Should I be digging into those things or just kind of stick with the cloud-native security offerings? That's an excellent question. So looking at security, security in the cloud is multiple different branches. And CNEs, probably care about one or two. In the clouds, you have identity. So identity solutions do exist, but I don't think, unless you're working for a very small company, I don't think it's gonna be your responsibility as a CNE to deal with identity in production. That's one aspect of that. The other one is compliance. If you as a network engineer or CNE is responsible for compliance to something really wrong, because that takes a lot of expertise. It's not a side job. They say, oh, I know FedRAMP. Um, that's fine. Don't worry. I'm going to configure my BGP, but I'm going to do some FedRAMP as well. You got to understand compliance very well. The third part is firewalls. Firewall is a big, big part. We briefly talked about it. 
Generally speaking, there are two different approaches when it comes to firewalls. In the cloud, all major cloud providers, they have their own built-in firewall solutions. And if you want, you can also run your own third-party firewall on a you know, instance in a VM. You might have I mean, any reasons. Sometimes you have enterprise license agreements and it makes perfect sense to bring the same solution to the cloud. Sometimes you have the single pane of glass like Panorama and you want to bring your power to firewall to the cloud. All those things make sense. So either you choose your cloud's firewall or you bring your own firewall to the cloud. Again, going back to our previous conversation, you have to know how to build that server, how to configure that, how to configure the NICs, how to bring up different services, how to make your firewall redundant, and all those things, you're not going to be responsible for the policies. That's the firewall piece of this. And then the architecture matters a lot. How you want to design it? Is it how it's spoke? Or you want to have a separate uh, virtual cloud for your firewalls, uh, depending on you know, different vendors? And the uh, other part, security controls. Things like your network security groups or security lists that um, many cloud providers have. It's just like your ACLs or ACLs in traditional networks. You are going to be responsible for those. So you have to understand the difference between stateful and stateless, where to put those, which one makes troubleshooting easier, more difficult, which one makes your environment more secure, or which one probably doesn't play a big role. So those are the calls you need to make. But generally speaking, you're responsible for architecture and making things work, making those connections work, and not necessarily the policies behind this, you know, how the security policies work. Regarding the third parties, you brought up Zscaler, any third party knowledge would be absolutely helpful. Any third party knowledge. Could be Zscaler, could be Powerwalser, could be Fortinet, uh, even something like Cisco ASA, still great. Why? Because like I said, many customers still want to bring those solutions to the cloud and they actually work very well. And there are some advantages and disadvantages, but we see that happen very often. What about lesser known or less, less commonly found networking skills, uh, multicast, uh, QoS? If I'm an expert in those and as a traditional network engineer, does that, is that helpful to me if as a CNE? Oh, so speaking of multicast, uh, three years ago, Bill Williamson uh, passed away. It's been three years, father of multicast training. Uh, remembering that multicast is one of the skill sets that traditionally, maybe up to two or three years ago, wasn't absolutely necessary in a cloud. However, today, things have changed. Many cloud providers, they do support some version of multicast, even I mean, sometimes with or without overlay. So that's a possibility. That's, a, that's one of the skills that's going to help you. It was not so much, but uh, at the end of the day, if you are a network engineer and you know multicast and QoS, I think it's safe to assume you already have a lot of other skill sets that we're going to need those. But if you need multicast and QoS, probably you can find, you can find some projects that you're going to use those, but not extensively. You mentioned during the interview process, looking through someone's resume and seeing that they're certified. What does that mean to you? What certifications and training would you expect to see in a CNE or someone who wants to become a CNE? 
Nance, don't get me started. <laughs> Too late. So certifications, yeah, that's one of my favorite topics. Absolutely. I'm a double CCI myself, Dusty and Emeritus. It's not active anymore, but uh, I do care about certifications. Uh, first of all, if you're a CCI applying for one of my positions, you're going to get an interview. I'm going to give that to you. Right. Uh, beyond that point, it's you. It's you and your capabilities to pass the job interview. That's one thing. The other thing that I do want to bring up is uh, a pretty annoying trend that I see these days. And uh, people are actually doing it backward. Let's, let's just explain that a little better. There are a lot of different certifications. Each one of the vendors, they have a long list of certifications. You as a CNE would absolutely impress me if you know all the four cloud providers and how to networking those. Networking, you know networking in Azure, you know networking in OCI, networking in AWS and networking in GCP. You're, you're an absolutely great person. I would hire you. Why? Because multiple mm -hmm. cloud is my biggest concern. And you're an ace. I would 100% interview you. I would 100% hire you if you, pass, if you answer my questions. That's one good way. The wrong way to see a lot of this is, and if you look at you know, the forums and all different social media, that's actually the path that many people are taking. People go after multiple different, absolutely not related certifications from one vendor. So look at the resume. I have this guy who's a big data expert, networking expert, a security expert, a developer expert, a database expert, on top of all these things, he's also an architect. And he, he, he knows a bunch of other things. Let, let me just burst your bubble here. There is no way on God's green earth that someone shows up and he's an expert. I'm not talking about you have a high level knowledge. No, you, have an you are an expert in six or seven different fields of science. At least in 2023, it's not easy. Or if it is, you should not be applying for a network engineering job. <laughs> so that's, that's a challenge. The right way is... If you want to be a CNE, that's great. There is a path, there is a certification path. All these cloud providers, go turn yourself into a multi-cloud person instead of, uh, you know, embarrassing me and yourself and putting all those badges on your resume. They show you're an expert in every single field with every single cloud provider that, um, I mean, I know you're not going to be able to get in front of customers at least experts on the customer side and answer the questions. There is one exception to that. If you want to work on the pre-sale side, you're an architect or enterprise architect, and you want to be able to, you know, talk about big data for 20 minutes, it's good to study big data, maybe get some, you know, essential beginner level big data certs, but that is pretty much it. As a CNE, you absolutely do not need to have uh, 25 different certifications from databases and big data all the way to security and network. I know exactly what you're talking about because I go on LinkedIn. I see the, uh, yeah. the fanfare around people getting certific certifications. And it seems for some people, it's uh, I just want to get every single cert that this cloud pro provider offers, regardless of whether it's relevant to what I'm doing. There we go. Exactly. I get it. And I played Pokemon. I understand how it works. But <laughs> if you're trying to get a job, I like your advice. Be a little more pragmatic about it. And all the cloud providers now have a networking specialization certification. That's true. 
yeah, maybe focus on that. That makes a lot of sense to me. Exactly. If you want to be a CNE, there is a very clear path. In fact, on Packet Pushers, I have a I have a blog. I published that a couple of years ago. It's still very much valid. It shows you exactly how to break into this field. And it's not just, you know, rant. No, very clear steps. Step one, step two, step three. I walk you through these phases. I'll tell you how to get from point A to point B, where to go, what certifications, where to learn, and then what jobs to apply. It is on packet pushers. Well, one final question then, Cam, is how do I skill up and, you know, using a lab and, uh, and so on, I don't want to spend a fortune doing it. And all these certs team, to, everybody wants to sell me books and classes and courses, and it can get expensive fast. So how do I, how do I not spend a fortune? Great question. So uh, let's take a quick step back. When I was studying for my first CCR early 2000, one of the very first things I did I bought a bunch of gear. So I bought a lot of devices. I still remember early in the morning, Saturday, let's wake up. I want to do a lab for eight hours. Now it's noon. I'm still troubleshooting my LS1010 ATM is down. Four years later, my frame lays down. Why? Because the 2500 for some reason isn't doing what it's supposed to do. And all those problems, eventually I gave up. And then I migrated things over to GNS. And then next generation, let's go ahead and you know, rent one of those rental uh, labs and they had their own problems too. That's not the case with cloud engineering. That's, just, that's actually the good news. With cloud engineering, if you want to master any technology, pretty much any, I mean, 95% technologies we're talking about today, those things, most cloud providers, if not all, I believe pretty much all of them, they have free tier, they have low cost services, they have light versions of the same services that you can play around, you can configure all the time, you can break and fix and all those things. The only thing is actually in that presentation to do not forget to shut down all your services when you're logging out. You don't want to pay for some service while you're asleep. So that's that's one way to get hands-on hands on, uh, skills. The second part is where to go, where to study. I don't want to, you know, promote my own book, but there is a book. However, love your vendor's documentation, their official documentation. If you are working with vendor A, look at the documentation, the two pieces there, their official documentation that you can find, you know, how things are configured, how things work. Some vendors, they also have blog posts, a little informal, but they reveal some really, really cool architecture designs and corner cases and all those things there. That's where you can get hands-on experience by reading a blog because those blogs are written by people who work with hundreds of customers every month, not just one customer, not as a consumer. No, they see customers uh, multiple times a day. So value those blogs, look at the official documentation. YouTube is, of course, a good resource, but... Uh, Again, certification paths are very clear. They will show you exactly what's needed, how to get there. Look at my blog, my blog on packetbushers.net as well. I, I also wanted to add that uh, you should be willing to invest something into your career. Not everything needs to be free, oh, you know? Oh, yeah. 100, 100%. And especially in this field. Uh, let's face it. This is one of the, uh, uh, you know, highly paid when you look at the numbers. When you compare this to other folks, compare what we earn 
in this field to what uh, you know RFOs make. So yeah, eventually there's going to be a great ROA. So absolutely great return on your investment. It's totally worth it. 100% worth it. But do not waste your money. Just spend it wisely. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, Em, as we hit the end of the show here, can you tell folks how they can follow you on the internet? Uh, don't, but yeah. Uh, so my Twitter account, uh, that's my last name, the first letter of my first name. So K-A-G-A-H-I-A-M. That's my Twitter handle. And I'm on LinkedIn and almost always accept connections. Uh, as long as you don't want to sell me anything, you're more than welcome to connect. <laughs> more and more of people selling us things on LinkedIn. I get a lot of exactly. those direct mails now. <laughs> hey, what if I could boost your productivity or boost your sales? Or they always want yep. to boost something. Yeah, yep. it's five uh, minutes of your time, and I will come into you. That's it. So yeah, Twitter and LinkedIn. I'd be more than happy to hear from people. Uh, feedback on my talks and all those things. And people do reach out. They ask questions and it's, uh, I, I do spend some time to answer those questions. I'm pretty open. I would love to hear from the audience. Why not? So the link to Cam's talk that inspired this podcast conversation will be in the show notes at packetpushers.net. And you can also find Cam's article, How to Break into a Cloud Engineering Career. That is at packetpushers.net. Cam's written that and several other pieces on packetpushers.net over the years. So thanks, Cam, for appearing on Day 2 Cloud. Awesome. And uh, virtual high fives to you out there for tuning in. And if you have suggestions for future shows, either guests you'd like us to interview, topics you want us to cover, vendors you want to see if we can bring on as a sponsor, we would love to hear all of your suggestions. Ned and I follow Twitter at Day 2 Cloud Show, you, so you can send us your information there. Or if you're not a Twitter person, and it seems like fewer and fewer people are these days, you can fill out the request form on day2cloud.io, and we'll get that and hear everything you have to say. By the way, Packet Pushers has a weekly newsletter, Human Infrastructure Magazine. Him is loaded with the very best stuff that we found on the internet, plus our own feature articles and commentary. It is free and it doesn't suck, I promise you. Get the next issue at Packet Pushers at packetpushers.net slash newsletter. It's free. Until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans. <laughs> <laughs>